You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the mysterious, the paranormal, and the weird. Tonight, we have dinosaur sword tales, Denisovan slumber parties, and a Tennessee fossil pit. This episode is brought to you by our generous patrons, including those who pledge at the highest tier, such as Samantha Shaver. You can help sponsor these shows for as little as $1 per month, and those who pledge $3 or more will receive exclusive extended episodes. A link to the Esoteric Book Club Patreon is in the show notes. Now, let's get to the news. In recent years, it has been established that a third species of human lived alongside Homo sapiens and Neanderthal, the Denisovan. Named for a cave in Siberia, the Denisovan is a mysterious lineage whose ancestral DNA can be found across many parts of Asia. Scientists recently took a gamble and returned to the Denisova cave and excavated a strata deeper than they expected to find any remains. And their gamble paid off. While the human remains were incredibly fragmentary, DNA analysis showed three distinct Denisovans, and more surprisingly, at least one Neanderthal. A fifth set of human remains was found, but there was not enough DNA remaining to conclusively determine their lineage. Katarina Duca says, quote, We specifically targeted these layers where no other human fossils were found before, and our strategy worked. Material goods were also found in association with the bone fragments, a first for a Denisovan find. Because of the overlapping periods of habitation, Previous finds always left scientists questioning whether the artifacts were made by Denisovans or by Neanderthals. In this instance, it's at least possible to say that excavated tools were potentially created by both. We know that humans and woolly mammoths coexisted in North America, but it's always been a question of how long a period of time they coexisted before their eventual extinction. Thanks to a new paleontological tool, we know that mammoths were at least around until 5,000 years ago. This new tool is environmental DNA testing. The idea is that soil, or in this case permafrost, contains trace DNA of all the living organisms in its ecosystem. As a species dies off, there is less and less indication of it in the strata until finally no more is detected. This is how scientists discovered that woolly mammoths were alive in the Yukon portion of North America as late as 5,000 years ago. This is very similar to the techniques used to identify Denisovan and Neanderthal occupation in older cave systems that yield only microscopic bone fragments. These fragments may be too small to conclusively point toward a specific human species, but if sufficient DNA proteins exist, environmental testing can occur. It is still unclear what led to the extinction of the North American woolly mammoth, human impact, or environmental change. Considering the decline of megafauna worldwide at this time, it's possibly safe to say that the conditions that allowed for our ascendancy may have also contributed to their decline. It's less of a chicken or egg scenario, and more likely that it's a bit of both that led to their extinction. I had to double-check and make sure that this next article wasn't just a repeat of one that I covered last season. And it's not. 
In a new archaeological find in the ancient site of Oxyrhynchus, Egypt, three individuals have been uncovered with what was once thought to be a singular funerary practice, a golden tongue. The remains belonging to a man, a woman, and a child, each interred separately, but with the same unique prosthetic. While the Egyptian tourism board is still claiming that this was meant to allow them to communicate with the gods upon their demise, the actual meaning behind the practice is still unclear. What is clear is that this is not just a singular event, but part of a ritual tradition that was conducted in Egypt during the 26th dynasty, between 664 and 525 BC. I'm honestly not surprised that a specific funerary tradition popped up in a very limited span of time in Egypt. Many pharaohs enacted unique religious regulations when they took the throne, so a golden tongue, while odd to us now, was probably just an idea that struck Pharaoh Samtik I. Speaking of ancient Egypt, have you ever wondered what happens to all the offerings that are left at various temples? Even if the offerings are small, the temple would look like an episode of Hoarders pretty quickly. It seems that builders had a plan for that. At the Temple to Hathor at Deir el-Bahari, there was a specific section of the temple dedicated to the disposal of offerings. As time progressed, this disposal area filled with votive offerings to the goddess and eventually was backfilled with rubble. Now these weren't the type of votives that we think of today. When I hear that word, I think of these tiny candles in glass jars. What they found in Deir el-Bahari were glazed ceramics known as faience, clay vessels, clay cow figurines, fragments of limestone and granite statues, small faience female figurines that are representations of Hathor, and various types of amulets. Quote, we suggest that sometimes there were so many offerings that there was no empty space for new objects, and that is why the priests from the Hatshepsut temple collected them from time to time and took them outside the temple area, making rubbish deposit, said Pietrik Chudzik, Polish archaeologist in charge of the excavation. If you get a chance to look at this article, there is also a photo of some of the figurines. I was surprised to find out that these were faience and not lapis lazuli gemstone. Even though many of them are broken, they are all still quite beautiful. When we think of fast dinosaurs, we are typically reminded of creatures in the raptor species. While there are lots of estimates about the potential velocity of various dinosaurs, there are few examples that actually show them moving at speed. In La Rioja, Spain, a pair of three-toed, non-avian theropod tracks were discovered. The tracks showed two dinosaurs that are assumed to be of the same species, though what specific species that is remains unknown. The quantity and length of the trackways allowed paleontologists to observe the movement and speed of these creatures. One animal seems to have slowly increased speed as it moved, while the other seems to have accelerated rapidly. This shows that they were capable of quick bursts of movement, a far cry from the assumed sluggishness attributed to dinosaurs when they were first discovered. Based on the tracks, scientists estimated that the two were similar, if not of the same species, and were around 7 feet tall and between 13 to 16 feet long. 
The top speed achieved by both was estimated to be just under 28 miles per hour. To put that into perspective, that is slightly faster than the top recorded speed of world record holder Usain Bolt. In all fairness though, this dinosaur's legs were as long as Usain Bolt is tall. So while they may move at the same speed, Usain still wins for relative speed versus body mass. Because so many carnivorous dinosaurs were surprisingly quick, herbivores evolved a series of various defenses. Some evolved horns, spikes, or even armor plating. But one newly discovered species developed something that has never been seen before. It developed a sword. Yes, you heard that correctly. Stegorus elangasin was found in Chile in 2018, and right away scientists knew they had something unique on their hands. This ankylosaur, whose species is known for armor plating and various defenses ranging from spikes to bony club tails, had a rather unique feature. The plating on its tail had formed into broad flat sheets resembling an armored fern leaf. Additionally, its tail is the shortest ever found in any ankylosaur species. Among other unique features, Stegorus had thin limbs that ended in rounded hoof-like claws, a large head, and limited plating along its back. Its hips were broad-set, more like a stegosaur rather than an ankylosaur, which leads me to believe that it relied on its tail as a primary means of defense. I guess you don't really need armor when you have the equivalent of seven battle axes strapped to your tail. Paleontologists generally agree that the reign of the dinosaurs ended as a result of an asteroid impact that hit in the area that we now know as the Gulf of Mexico. On a superficial level, we understand that this impact was bad. Like, really, really bad. But do we really have a concept of how devastating it was? The first thing that would have happened is the asteroid impact would have instantly vaporized anything near it. The shock wave would have flattened anything not instantly disintegrated, but worse, the following blast wave would have superheated the surrounding landscape, causing it to burst into flames. The impact itself would have pulverized rock into such a fine powder that it instantly took to the upper atmosphere and began circulating around the globe. This mixture of rock dust and carbon from the wildfires eventually mixed with water, forming acid rain. Now this isn't the type of acid rain that we think of today as a result of industrial pollution. No, this acid rain would have been much, much stronger. Actual sulfuric acid would have rained from the permanently darkened skies. Oh yeah, that's the other part. It would have been night. Like, all the time. Using computer models with information from some of the most complete prehistoric ecosystems that we have on record, it was estimated that life could have survived for about 150 days. Roughly 5 months. This is the tipping point though. By the time you hit 200 days, entire species begin to go extinct. As more and more variance is eliminated from the ecosystem, it creates a catastrophic failure of plant and animal diversity. 
in areas where this darkness could have lasted up to two years, the rate of species death reached a maximum of 81%. Think about that. After two years of night, only 19% of all life would remain. Those same computer models show that after such a devastating loss, it would take over 40 years for the area to even begin to recover. So how bad was the end of the dinosaur era? To be frank, it was hell on earth, and we're probably lucky that anything at all survived. I'm sure very few of you have heard of the town of Gray, Tennessee. Until this article was released, I'd never heard of it. What makes this town unique is what was found during a routine road construction. They found a massive Ice Age fossil bed. This site was discovered in the year 2000 and has since yielded over a hundred different species of animal and plant life thanks to its unique formation. Originally, the area was a rather nasty sinkhole that trapped countless animals within its depths. How nasty was it? Well, it managed to trap not one, but multiple mammoths in its lifespan. What scientists are currently calling the gray mammoth isn't your run-of-the-mill woolly elephant either. It may potentially be a new, uncatalogued species. While scientists aren't ready to conclusively say that this is a new species, they are finding details that may point to that reality. What makes the designation so difficult is that our catalog of early mastodon fossils is more than a little sparse. In fact, most of what we know comes from fragmentary bones, assorted tusk pieces, and a few teeth. It was long believed that the continent only housed a single species of mastodon, but in 2019, a secondary species was discovered. We now know that North America had the American mammoth and the newly named Pacific mammoth, although the gray mammoth may soon join their ranks. I know this all sounds like a lot of maybe and perhaps, but this designation is tricky, mostly because our previous evidence is so sparse. The gray fossil site has yielded the first full skeleton, and based on ground-penetrating radar surveys, may house up to an additional nine mammoth bodies. This is really our first good look at a full corpse of these massive beasts so it is still possible that they are either the American or Pacific mammoths. But the way that paleontologists are talking, it seems unlikely. There is still a lot of reconstruction left to do on these ancient bones, but it's starting to seem like the gray mastodon may soon join the ranks of North American mammoths. To end the show, it's everyone's favorite segment, News of the Weird. In an historic moment, Scottish Parliament is moving to give pardons to women executed during the witch trials over 300 years ago. Wives of Parliament members are collectively rolling their eyes because they now have a time frame for when their husbands say, yeah, sure, I'll get around to it. NASA is looking to have a functioning nuclear power plant built on the moon by 2030. The deadline for construction proposals is February 19, 2022 because eight years to build an untested nuclear device within the vacuum of space on an orbiting body 
that potentially has adverse consequences for everyone on planet Earth is totally something that we should rush to outsource to the lowest bidder. Astronauts recently had to cancel a scheduled spacewalk due to the amount of debris in orbit. Some of these pieces of debris have a velocity 10 times faster than a speeding bullet. As if the infinite void of space weren't already terrifying, astronauts now have to worry about being drive-by shot every time they leave the shuttle. Quantum physics is already pretty difficult to understand, but it's now being proposed that we may have to use imaginary numbers to fully grasp its concepts. Sure, when scientists want to talk about imaginary things, it's called innovation, but when I do it, people prescribe me Adderall. Paleontologists have recently discovered microscopic chunks of silver contained within fossilized worm poop. This just goes to show that it is possible to polish a turd. It just takes a really, really long time. Recent studies show that crows are smart enough not only to make tools, but to assign value to tools that perform better than others. Scientists say that these animals are exhibiting behaviors once thought only to be possessed by humans. Behaviors such as self-control. One look at TikTok shows that we've set the bar for self-control pretty low. For our final report tonight, a scientific paper with the signatures of 33 experts in various fields of biology has proposed that cephalopods, you know, squids, cuttlefish, and octopi, could potentially have come from the stars. Seriously, their proposal is that like various viruses and amino acids, primitive cephalopods could have hitched a ride on primordial meteorites that splashed down in our early oceans. My big question as a result of this paper is, are all aliens so tasty? The Esoteric Book Club can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and at esotericbookclub.org. This show is sponsored by my patrons, who help make its broadcast a reality. Until next time, remember, stay weird. Mmm. Now I'm thinking of deep-fried alien and tamari sauce.